Listener supported. WNYC Studios. What is this woman in white that we're waiting for? Is she purity and virginity, or is she death? From WQXR and the Metropolitan Opera, this is Aria Code. I'm Rhiannon Giddens. You end up being the center of a solar system and everything's sort of spinning around you somehow. And it is thrilling. It is terrifying. It is exhilarating. Every episode unwraps a single aria so you can see what's inside. Today, it's In Questa which means In This Palace, from Puccini's Turndot. Then when she gets to sing, it's not, look at how nice I sing. It's... Here's why I sing. Now, this season on Ari Code, we've been focused on the many forms of desire, how it shows up in our own lives, and how the best moments in opera express those feelings. This episode is sort of the upside down of all that. It's about suppressing desire, you know, cutting yourself off from your own feelings and the rest of the world. And sometimes it's for good, healthy and self-protective reasons. So let's talk about Turandot, Giacomo Puccini's final opera. Turandot is known as the Ice Princess. She's sworn off all intimacy and love forever. And she's not just playing hard to get. She's legitimately very hard to get. She presents suitors with three riddles, and if they don't solve them all correctly, she puts their heads on spikes and adds them to her growing collection. It's kind of like The Bachelorette, but a little bit bloodier. So in walks the tenor, Prince Caliph, with his father Timur and the slave girl Liu in tow. Now, this dude obviously likes a challenge because he's undeterred by the prospect of the whole heads on spikes thing. Heads on spikes, just just reiterating that. He's got swagger and he wants to win the princess, so he's up for the riddles. Now, it seems simple enough, but Turndot's entrance aria, In Questa Regia, shows us the story is deeper than it appears. In the aria, Turndot explains to Prince Caliph why she rejects love. It turns out her ancestress, Princess Lu Ling, was defeated, raped, and killed in this palace, In Questa Regia. Turndot wants to avoid her fate and avenge it. So if you scratch just below the icy surface, this princess's story is about pain and trauma that's passed down through generations. Turndot has walled herself off. She will not be defeated by any man, and she will not be defeated by love. Or so she thinks. Well, three great guests are here to decode this battle of the sexes. First, soprano Christine Gerke, who sings the role of Turndot at the Met, Her very first performance as the Ice Princess brought a few challenges even beyond the epic singing. I was pregnant with my second child. (laughs) That would make it hard to believe that she's sworn off all men. So we had some fancy footwork to do. And by fancy footwork, I mean I moved sideways. (laughs) In the costume, it kind of worked. Next, William Berger, author, lecturer, and Met Opera media commentator. He wrote the book Puccini Without Excuses. I'm a big fan of Puccini and of all opera because I'm a fan of people telling me intense stories. Lately, uh, mostly I get those intense stories through 
heavy metal, but I enjoy them wherever I can find them. And Anna Klumsky, an actor and opera nerd. That's exactly what I am. She's probably best known for playing political staffer Amy Bruckheimer on the HBO series Veep. And she's currently leading the cast of Inventing Anna, an upcoming drama series from Netflix. She got bit by the opera bug while starring in the comedy Living on Love with co-star Renee Fleming. And then I just became actually obsessed. The music gets into parts of us that we can't even define. It can tell so much more story and connect so much more deeply than if we were just using spoken text. I love spoken text because that's my job. <laughs> um, but it is, it's undefinable what music can do. All right, here we go. Right through the palace gates. In Questa from Puccini's Turandot. Turandot was Puccini's final opera. In fact, he died before he was able to finish it. He had writer's block for a couple of years before his final illness. He had worked himself into a corner, deciding to create the ultimate drama of the tension between male and female. And the music for Turandot was not only some of the best music Puccini had ever written, but in many ways new directions that he was discovering in himself as a composer at this late stage of his life. This is set in a fantastical China imagined by an Italian composer, loving the music that he heard on a music box from afar. We have one tune, the Jasmine Flower, which is an actual authentic Chinese melody. And he orchestrates it in an Italian way so that it's neither Chinese nor European. It's something neither and both. My husband is Chinese-American. My in-laws are from China. My daughters are Chinese-American. So this opera itself is a culturally appropriated concept. That's what we would call it today. And I often joke that, you know, I'm an actor, so like I'm an appropriator for a living. Like I'm not playing myself. I'm playing somebody else. There are definitely ways in which you can interpret a culture that is not your own with extreme ignorance. If we get it wrong, then we need to learn from that. But I don't see that in this opera. You know, my family doesn't. We have a really unusual situation in Turandot. Puccini has been teasing us throughout the whole night. He's named the opera after her, and we haven't heard a peep out of her. Yeah, the whole first act and first scene of the second act are other people talking about this woman. It's their interpretations of her. The score says that her palace rises in the background as if from the mists. And then she makes a hand gesture, literally an off of his head, to a prince who has failed the tests. 
then she subsides again into the darkness. She is put up there on display, something untouchable, something to react to or against, but she is voiceless. She is an object. We see her coming into the beginning of Inquesta Regia with usually great pomp and circumstance. It is wildly intense because once you step foot into the story, you have got to immediately come up to the level that the first half of the opera has brought you to. You end up being the center of a solar system and everything's sort of spinning around you somehow. And it's thrilling. It is terrifying. It is exhilarating. And people are really anxious to sort of see, right, okay, well, what is she going to be like? What is she going to say? What is this woman in white that we're waiting for? Is she purity and virginity and all the promise held in that? Or is she death? Turandot is, if you go with the usual interpretation, an icy bitch. Um, but she has good reason. She has taken upon herself the persona of her ancestor, Princess Loling. And this beautiful, graceful, sweet, wise woman had to consistently fight off domination from foreign princes. And things did not end very well for her. So Turandot has an innate fear and anger towards men. And to protect herself, she has come up with three riddles. And the only way that a prince can have her, can have the kingdom, is if he answers all three of these questions correctly. She's not on stage very long, but when she is on the stage for however many minutes it is, you'd have to ask the soprano. She would know. 22, 23 minutes total. Every one of those moments has to be extraordinary. And then when she gets to sing, it's not, look at how nice I sing. It's, here's why I sing choosing to take the time and so much orchestral energy and vocal energy to let her tell her story and earn her actions. That is a very modern concept. You're walking out into a situation where you have 6,000 colleagues on stage, and the entire orchestra has been wailing, and it's been amazing, and everybody's been singing, and all of a sudden, the only thing that you get is this tiny D major chord, and you have to start singing. It's not high. 
It's not low, but you have to be so assured in that moment, because if you are not, you are setting the tone for the entire aria. It's actually quite scary to make that first entrance. Once that's over, I can breathe a sigh of relief for about two minutes. This aria begins telling us the story of something that happened thousands of years ago. And this is already thousands of years ago. So we're in the Wayback Machine. So she's telling us a story. Once upon a time, many years ago, her beautiful and serene ancestor, Princess Lo Ling, was a wonderful ruler and peaceful and joyful. She obviously identifies with this historical figure, my ancestress, La Mia Ava. And there was a time when the kingdom not only was dominated and conquered, but she was attacked and raped and killed. She's violated. In this very palace in Questa Regia. Where her young voice was stifled. By, wouldn't you know it, as coincidence had it, the king of the Tartars. Kalaf is the prince of the Tartars. And though this was thousands of years ago, the soul of her ancestress is reborn in her and she will have revenge for what happened to her. No man will ever have me. No man will ever do that to us again. And I get to sing. My voice gets to be heard because her voice was stifled. Part of what Turandot channels from her ancestress, the princess Lo Ling, along with the beauty and all the tenderness, are the fear and the hurt that come along with her violation centuries ago. And this becomes part of Turandot's, I, I wouldn't say anger, just her righteous indignation. It morphs into a more aggressive personality trait. We all put on that mask of strength when we need to. That's what she does. I feel like she's almost numb at this point. You know, she's had to do the same thing over and over and over again. And it's difficult for her, I believe. But there is something different about this guy. She's attracted to him. She's never been attracted to anyone before. She hated all of these other people, but she had some kind of desire for him. That's terrifying. Who knows if that's what happened with her ancestor? Who knows if that was the mistake she made? So at the beginning, she says, E quel grido traverso stirpe stirpe. Qui nell'anima mia si rifugio. This is uh, talking about the cry that passed down through all the generations and took refuge in my soul. And then when she talks about her connection to this ancestress who is reborn in her, you'll hear the whole atmosphere change. The music becomes a little bit more lush. (laughs) 
So talking about Principessa Loling, it's really a warm part of the voice. To me, it feels very familial. From this section, from Pura Nel Tempo, it's talking about this uprising and the kingdom being conquered. The vocal line does begin to rise up and up and up and up. It's almost as if you're having a conversation and you're telling a story about something that really upsets you and you get to a point and then you remember that you're not supposed to be getting upset about it. And then when she comes back down, she is starting to talk about her ancestor again. She says, my beautiful ancestor was dragged off, was killed by a man like you. And she points to Kalaf, very like you, Prince of the Tartars. And I'm going to get you and all of you, all of you men, for this. Doesn't matter, any man, you are that guy. Every guy who shows up, you are that guy. And then there's a lot of dotted rhythms. And if you think of dotted rhythms, it's a bit almost like marching. Unwavering, military. It's almost like an angry heartbeat for her. And it happens over and over again throughout this aria. It dawns on her, this is going to happen to me. I'm going to be raped and I'm going to be killed. That's what happens when men show up and they they conquer this land. It's been taught to her. It is ingrained in her. And she is terrified from this trauma from generations past. It's like intense. It is violent. It feels the way this story feels. It's the stifling of that voice from ages ago. What Turandot is singing about here is the trauma that doesn't go away over time. The fact that there are thousands of years and that the players are still exactly the same. Here are the Tartars with their flags unfurled coming after her in this very palace shows us that time doesn't heal all wounds. There are some that are played out and recreated with every generation. And there's research that tells us this is what actually happens to people. That trauma is passed down over generations, lots of generations. It's called historical trauma or intergenerational trauma. This can show up for descendants of people who've gone through slavery, war, genocide, extreme or systemic poverty. And there are different theories about how it's passed on, maybe through survivor's parenting techniques, maybe it's transmitted during pregnancy, maybe the survivor's environment actually affects the way that the genes are expressed. It's 
crazy, but it exists. So Turandot is telling us something very real here. She's telling us that some conflict lasts forever. And sometimes when people say you should look for closure or people should just get over it or that happened a long time ago, we're seeing that that's not good enough. And Puccini had a way of showing us that same truth. The princes arrived and they came from everywhere and all they bring is death and screaming and anger and sadness and they've killed the the purity of not only the ancestor but of the kingdom. From there, the voice starts to go up and you have nothing but sort of catch breath. So it'll be going, going, going. You have to quickly catch a breath and continue. You desperately have to stay connected to the music. You desperately have to stay connected to the text. But if you get upset about something, you start to feel it in your throat, you know, and you get really upset. That is absolutely what you cannot do while singing this. So our job is to get right up to that line of emotion and then take one hair of a step back. It's like walking a tightrope here. A really loud, amazing tightrope. <laughs> and then Puccini drops the orchestra out and leaves you on this obscene high B, thanks for nothing. On the word grido, scream. It is powerful and violent. And two seconds later, he has this gorgeous, lush legato phrase in the middle of the voice, which is beautiful. That's so amazing because it shows that there are so many different facets of this woman, of her psyche, of her personality, of her voice. She's saying, no man will ever possess me. To me, that shows her fears of men and the fear of violence and the fear of losing herself. So she thinks she's got it figured out. Okay, I'm going to make sure it never happens to me by just killing them all, (laughs) right? She has committed herself to this life of isolation and blood and destruction. It shows us how a person goes from hurt and abused to becoming the one who hurts and the abuser. She becomes this oppressor, a murderer, a mass murderer, just trying to balance out the karma of the pain that happened centuries ago. And yet she's still a human being and she still does have a heart. It's really vulnerability. It's difficult to make the character of Turandot very multidimensional. We are definitely given a strong view of her from the minute she walks in the door. It's my favorite thing to do, to find characters like this and to try and get the audience on my side somehow. 
to see why a character behaves the way that they do. Does it make you fall for them? Does it make you feel like they are right? Not necessarily. But even if I have a couple people walk out of the theater saying, well, that wasn't the right choice necessarily, but I, I kind of understand why she is the way she is. That's my job. And then she turns to the estranero, to the stranger, the foreigner, Kalaf, and says, oh, don't tempt fortune, because the riddles are three and death is one. Yeah, I got some riddles, but we got an answer. The answer's death. So, you know, everybody just go home. We're done. And he dares to correct her. He mansplains it to her, and he says, no, the riddles are three and life is one. He is spreading that message that death breeds death breeds death. How about we choose something else? How about there's a new thing we can do? Let's choose life. The climax is both of them hitting the high sea and seeing who lasts longer. And you'll hear that face-off as they contend at the end of this aria. This is not a man and a woman in a life-and-death struggle. This is all the negative and positive energy that has ever existed in the universe funneled through a man and a woman in contention. This is matter and antimatter. Immediately after Inquestareja, since the prince is determined to go on with the trials, she wanders herself right to a good place to sing and immediately says to him, all right, stranger, listen up. Here are the riddles. And she asks him the three riddles. And by the time he answers the third one, it's fraught with tension. I think that this is the first person who's ever made it to the third riddle. And at this point, I feel like she doesn't know whether to wish that he doesn't get the answer or wish that he does. He wants her to be in love with him. And she's terrified of the prospect of that. And he sees how scared she is and says, right, okay, I answered your riddles, but I will give you till morning. If you find out my name... I will die. I will die for you. You will be free. That's pretty gigantic. He is making himself vulnerable. And he's proving to her that he is actually not out to get her. That makes her drop her guard and finally accept that maybe there's hope. Maybe not all humans are out to hurt, kill, maim, rape other humans. Maybe there's a such thing as love. Maybe there's a such thing as growth. That's where the hope comes in. They end up together, and she finally gives up this suit that she wears and allows herself to possibly have happiness, even though it's terrifying to her. That's something that she's never done. 
She has been strong many times in the past. But the most terrifying move in our lives, I think, is often the strongest one that we can make. So this idea that Puccini never finished this opera, I think tells us a lot. Not that it's a failure on Puccini's part. I think it tells us about the story being told. There can be no resolution to this. This is a continuing story. It is a form of endless melody because it's a form of endless drama and conflict. It's beautiful on the surface, but it's also very disturbing. It's the story of love itself. It has beautiful aspects, it has violent aspects, and it has unresolvable aspects. So maybe instead of thinking of this opera as an unfinished masterpiece, we should think of it as an endlessly evolving one. That was soprano Christine Gerke, actress Anna Klumsky, and author William Berger talking about In Questa Regia from Puccini's Surrendat. Christine will be back to sing it for you after the break. Have you ever had an encounter with someone that left you feeling a little braver? I remember getting in a car and just driving, and it was just for curiosity's sake. That freedom led to, like, a lot of rediscoveries, just for life things became colorful again. Join me, Helga Davis, for conversations with artists and thinkers who share my passion for living fearlessly. It's a new season of Helga. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Here's Christine Gerke singing In Questa Regia on stage at the Metropolitan Opera. Thank you. 
A battle of the sexes never sounded so good. That was Christine Gerke laying down the law in the aria In Questa from Puccini's Turned Up. Okay, 
The palace gates are closing, but before I go, here's a riddle for you. Ready? Here goes. It showers joy upon the Arya kingdom. It shines like a beacon, drawing in new listeners. It shimmers like a star, or preferably five. Well, that's right. It's a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. Submit one and you can keep your head. And thanks to everyone who's recommended the show to someone. You're all princes and princesses in my eyes. Aria Code is a co-production of WQXR and the Metropolitan Opera. The show is produced and scored by the one and only Marin Lazian. Emily Lang is our associate producer. Brendan Francis Noonan and Helena DeGroote of Public Address Media are our editors. And Matt Abramovitz is our executive producer. Sound design and mixing by Matt Boynton and Anya Jeshik. And original music by Hannes Brown. I'm Rhiannon Giddens. See you next time. <laughs>